Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. Guys, I'm really excited to be interviewing today's guest. He is the founder of Swag.com, which was one of the top 500 fastest growing companies in America for two years in a row. And uh, he's been doing a lot of interesting things since then. Please welcome to the show, Jeremy Parker. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Dude, it's my, my pleasure. And I, I didn't know who you were before you came up in the show notes. So I've been spending the last hour reading about you and your incredible journey uh, with Swag.com. So before we get into that, give me a real quick thousand foot overview of, of who Jeremy Parker is and uh, let the audience know who they're talking to. Sure thing. So I was originally a documentary filmmaker. In no way. Yeah, that was my... Uh, my background, my passion when I was when I was younger, and mm-hmm. I made a movie when I was about 18 years old, a feature-length documentary wow. that ultimately won the Audience Award at the Vail Film Festival. So I was Ooh, in Vail. All right, I got to stop you right there. For an 18-year-old to do that, I don't under, I don't know if the audience understands what a massive feat that is. But wow, like I'm just gonna say, wow, for an 18 year old to, to come out and, and to do that and to win an award at Vail, that, that's incredible in itself. So I, my apologies for talking over you. I wanted to put an exclamation. You you were just like, oh yeah, I made a movie and then off I went. But like, no, I gotta put an exclamation mark on that, man. That's incredible in itself. Thank you, yeah. And I remember I was uh, on top of the mountain and there was thousands of people and many of these people are famous celebrities that we've all heard of and um, Remember the next morning after we won the film festival, there was like this uh, quote unquote VIP brunch for everybody who was in the film festival. Mm. And I walked into the into the brunch and half the room were people I've heard of and half the room were these more struggling artists. And I did an internal gut check to myself. And I mm-hmm. said, number one, am I that good? And number two, do I love it? And both <laughs> answers were no. Frankly, oh, I, wow. I, was, I was okay. I thought I was good, but I was, was I really that good? I didn't truly love it in my bones and say, this is not the career for me. So mm-hmm. it was like a, like a full-on realization. Now, I was a junior in college at the time, and I was a film major at Boston University. So I got back to BU. I had to finish up my major. I was pretty close to being done. Right. But after I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, the, My entire experience up until that point was filmmaking. You know, I knew I was a good storyteller. I was, you know, I, but, but how does that how can you make a living just being a storyteller? And I kind of right, just did right. the answer was. So after I graduated college, I started my first business and I had no business experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it was called Tees and Tats. Horrible name. It was about tattoo apparel. That right. was the idea. It was, I wanted to sell $250, $300 t-shirts. Very, very premium, high-end, individually numbered, limited edition, really cool t-shirts that were designed by a world-famous tattoo artist. I was 21 years old or so when I graduated college, and I went all in on that. And the problem was I launched it about four months uh, before the recession. This is in 2007. Mm. So you could, all the stores we were selling to, we were selling to a lot of different stores, they went bankrupt or they didn't want to reorder or like no one's buying high-end goods. Yeah. And I wrote a, uh, a letter to Mark Cuban. I remember this very vividly because – Early in my career, I had no business experience. I just wanted to learn as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Mark Cuban, who had this blog called Blog Maverick. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have this uh, t-shirt idea. 
it's a business, it's not doing well, there's a recession. I tied the price of my shirts to the price of the Dow Jones. And for every 100 points the Dow dropped, they would get a discount on their t-shirt price. So oh, wow. we created a market-relating pricing model. Mm -hmm. Mark Cuban loved it. He wrote about us. It got picked up by Ad Age, big ad, mag you know, advertising magazine. They wrote about us, and it kind of set me on this journey of where I am today. So there's a lot of kind of things where I met the right people and I learned the right things based on my initial startup. You know, jumping, kind of jumping ahead first, not really knowing what I was getting myself involved in. Yeah, but you had the you had the audacity at the time as a 21 year old to write to a billionaire and ask him for advice and you know sometimes that works man like look what happened yep and then what happened is it got written up in ad age and ad age was seen by one of the the ceos of a really large promotional product company called mv sport mm -hmm. uh, it's got ellie pizer we ended up meeting we hit it off and i ultimately built a business underneath mv sport and I built this company called Vote for Art. And what we did is we partnered up with different colleges to do a graphic design t-shirt for, let's say, University of Maryland, Oregon right. State, mm -hmm. Arizona State University. And the winning design was printed on t-shirts and sold at the bookstore, basketball stadium, football stadium, et cetera. And I frankly learned the ins and the outs of the promotional product space. So I was 22, 23 at that time doing promotional products in a different, unique way. I yeah. left there. Yeah. I started a business with my brother and Jesse Itzler, uh, who's the co-founder of Marquee Jet, a private jet company, owns Zico Coconut Water, owner of Atlanta Hawks basketball team. And we started a company where we partnered up with major celebrities, like world-famous celebrities, and owned their social media before they knew it was valuable. Ooh, so, for example, yeah. some of these celebrities have, let's say, 2,000 followers. Now they have 50 million. And we would own their social media that they cannot do promotional deals unless it was with us. So we basically partnered with the celebrity, owned their social feeds, partnered with these brands, and then did these kind of Groupon-esque deals mm -hmm. through the social media influencers' profiles. Um, and that company was ultimately bought by a publicly traded company when I was 25 years old. Um, then I had a company that failed. I spent three years on it. I learned a lot through that failure. And then I started Swag when I was 30 years old. So I've been doing Swag for seven years now. Tell me... Tell me about the time it went wrong then, because three years, three years is a lot of time to put in something. And, you know, a, a lot of people that listen to the show, we've got some successful people and we've got some we've got some struggling people and they need to hear about the time when it didn't work out. You know, so so talk me through that three years, man. What, what went wrong? Yeah. So I was coming off a high. I was 25 years old. I just sold a company for millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, I was feeling like. You know, I could do anything I want to do, right? It was like, yeah, no doubt. And by the way, every entrepreneur can. It's not like you, you can. You can make things happen and you could make anything possible. So I do, I still believe that fully. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But we started this business called Vouch. It was what you vouch for your favorite things. It was democratizing Oprah's favorite things for everyone. Mm -hmm. The idea is if you look at Facebook, for example, bits and pieces of Facebook have been taken off and made a uh, distinct social platform based on it. So, Twitter took the status update and made an experience just debate about the status update. Yeah. And Instagram took the photos and made just about being photos. Mm -hmm. And Snapchat took the poke button and all these different things took a bit and piece of it. But when we looked at Facebook, we looked at what is the most monetizable aspect of Facebook? It's the like button. It's what people like. It's where all the advertising money goes. Right. So we want to build a social networking app based on what you actively really love. So people can follow me and say, hey, I love Jeremy's taste in movies. What does Jeremy like? And then all the movies. We ended up building this into over 100,000 users. 
but it never materially took off. And I've realized I learned a lot. I mean, tremendous amount. Three yeah. years, we, you know, raising money, spending money, trying to make it work, and it didn't ultimately work. And the problem was, I think the main problem is that we were, I don't know if it was ego or, I don't think it was ego, but it was not really understanding what the customer really wants. And we feeling like we had the answers. So we spent over a year and a half building the platform without really getting customer feedback. Oh, and yeah. a yeah. small detail um, while we were building it that we lost sleep over, like, how does this button move? What happens if you click this and that? And I was obsessed with the details of the platform and building it and making it perfect. And what happened is a year and a half later when we launched it, we realized that all the stuff that I frankly cared about and I lost sleep over, the customers couldn't care about. Mm -hmm. And all the things that the customer cared about wasn't even on our radar of things that we should be building. And if we just got out of our own way and launched something really quick, we would have learned mm -hmm. the right thing to build. Not what we thought was the right thing, but what the customer really thought was the right thing. So I took that to heart. And when we built swag.com, I didn't build any tech for the first month, for the first year. I just went out and knocked on doors and was a traveling salesman and sold. And while I was making money from the first day, I was learning the right product to build. So when we ultimately did launch the right product in 2017, the year after we launched, I knew it was going to be it was going to be right. And it wasn't 100% right, like nothing is. Right. But it was good enough to learn. And then we pivoted and we really learned from our customers. So now it's all about the customers. And, and Swag.com only focuses on building things that we know for a fact customers are asking for. Yeah, man, so many people miss that lesson. They forget to ask the marketplace. They forget to listen to the marketplace. And, you know, I see the mistake over and over in that they spend all the time building the perfect website or the perfect logo or the perfect email brand name or whatever. They forget to actually go to the marketplace and see if what they're selling is, is viable. You know, so that's a huge lesson, man. Um, I Anyway, let's let's move past that lesson. Tell me about how you came up with setting up swag.com and uh, how you acquired your first customer because you're quite an interesting first customer, didn't you? Yeah, so swag.com was interesting. So I had this experience from MV Sport Days 10 years prior mm -hmm. um, and I was doing the vote for art and doing the design yeah. contest. Mm -hmm. At that point, I learned so much about the promotional product experience and I fell in love with it. I realized at the time though, every single person was doing orders very manually. It was like back and forth emails, it was presentation decks, it was catalogs to close sales. And I just figured that was just how it was done at the time. Maybe there wasn't technology out yet. Maybe it was the buyer that didn't really want to do things self-service. But you fast forward 10 years, I realized that the industry is only getting bigger, but mm -hmm. the buyer is getting younger. And that yeah. was kind of a hypo that went off in my head. The buyer is no longer a 40, 50 year old office manager. It's a millennial, it's 25 years old. They want to do things very, very differently. Mm -hmm. Now, so when we started, I didn't know exactly the right, because we we knew we wanted to sell to businesses, but if you think about a business, there's so many different buyers within the organization that buy for, you know, buy. It could be the office manager buying for company culture. It could be the HR manager buying to onboard new hires. Yep. Sales team yep. buying for closing sales, marketing mm -hmm. teams, events, trade shows, et cetera. So who do you really go after? I didn't have that answer yet, but I knew that the buyer, the generational buyer was this younger buyer and they wanted things to be curated. They wanted things to be super high quality. They wanted to do it self-service. Um, and not speak to anyone on the phone. Yep. So how do we build the right platform for today's buyer? And then we just kind of started. That was really it. So the domain name, we, need, we knew we needed to get the swag.com domain name. It's very important for us. From the, from the get-go, we realized that we had to turn offline conversations to online purchasing. Mm -hmm. That's what we kept thinking. Offline to online. How do we convert that? If you're just selling a pair of uh, sneakers in your consumer business, 
you could do Facebook ads. People could have impulse purchases and buy it right then and there. Mm -hmm. No one's impulse purchasing swag. You're buying mm -hmm. on behalf of your company. You're spending $4,000 on average. It's a lot of money to spend. You have to have a need for it. So if you advertise to somebody and you get in front of them in February, let's say, you need to be on top of their mind in November when they want to buy for holiday season. Correct, so we yeah. need this valuable swag.com domain and we really try to figure out how to get it. Ultimately, how we did it is we didn't have the money yeah, that, that, that's a four-letter, one-word domain. Yeah. That That's Very not tough. inexpensive, yeah? Not expensive. But what yeah. we did is we negotiated the deal down to a reasonable price, what we thought was a reasonable price, and we exclusively licensed the domain name from the owner, right, for mm -hmm. a two-year period with the option to buy. Right. So we gave the owner some equity. We got the domain name without putting any upfront money. Once we proved out the business that it could work, we had extra money to raise money, and then we could acquire the domain. So it allowed us to really have the brand from day one without having to kind of put out the cash Dude, to that's, do it. That's super smart. That's super smart. And you guys paying attention. Listen, the guy's run into a problem. He's thought his way around the problem. He's come up with a solution that works for everybody, and they've just moved forward, man. That's that, that, that's a really creative way to put it together because, you know, those domain names, I don't know what, what yours end up cost, but I know when you go after single single oh, word domain names they're, they're well into seven figures like they're, they're, oh they're well well, well into we, seven we, got, we got ours for two hundred thousand, and it was we thought the steal of a century because they're initially asking 1.2 million dollars for it and i thought that was a fair price frankly for such yeah. a powerful mm -hmm. domain name for an industry that's so big i mean we're nearly a 40 billion dollar industry and we're calling it swag like we should own that word yeah yeah and uh, especially what that was 2016 so now you yeah. think 2022 what that domain would cost yeah, it's oh. just uh, the, man, I tried to buy a one one word domain the other week and it was six million dollars. I'm like, man, I'm just yep. I'm just gonna have to wait on that one. I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we did. We had this domain name. We had a landing page. I didn't want to make the same mistake I made in my previous startup, um, where we built things in, in a silo in the dark room and then mm -hmm. launched it later. So with the landing page and the coming soon, our first idea was we need to get logos. What I mean by that is we need to get a couple of early blue chip customers that would trust in us, that would use us, even if we didn't make any money. Frankly, I would have been okay losing money on these deals right. as long as I could put the row of logos of look of who we have worked with. Because mm -hmm. that just gives other customers confidence. Yeah. So in the early days, my co-founder and I, Josh, we became logo hunters. And we thought we should get Facebook. Facebook is one of the biggest companies in the world. They're very Gen Z, millennial. Um, you see Facebook, if Facebook's using you, you know, we should be able to use you as well. And we went to Facebook's office and we kind of like, in some ways set up shop within the office. We had like an empty conference room. Imagine you're in an office and you see all these conference rooms. We set up, we put down like traveling salesmen, all the different swag items that we brought for the day. People in the office were walking by, they stopped in, they said, what are you guys doing? Oh, we sell swag, great. We sold our first t-shirt. I think I made 5% margin, like nothing, very little, it didn't right. matter to us. And I put Facebook's logo on their website. And then the next day or two days later, I went to WeWork and they asked us who else we work with. And we said Facebook. And obviously, we don't like to lie. But they, they probably assume we work with thousands of other companies. Right, right, they, right. Three of our journey. And we got WeWork. And then we went to Bravo TV. And then we went to this company, that company. And we got the first five rows of logos. And then once we got enough logos that made people feel confident in us, then we said, okay, now we don't necessarily have to be logo hunters. Mm. Now we should learn as much as we can from potential customers, whether they had a big name brand or not and just talk to them and learn exactly who to go after. And what we noticed by having these conversations, number one, they liked us and we ultimately sold them something. So we made some revenue. Mm -hmm. But number two is we learned so much stuff that we wouldn't have ever thought about. 
Yeah, and, yeah, no yeah. doubt. Like, give you an example. Yeah, please your do. Initial, initial idea of the business was to go after the marketing team. Mm-hmm. Because think of the marketing team. They have major budgets. They have big use cases, trade shows, events. They want to go and, and buy big, right? And they're not just right. buying for internal purposes. They're buying for external. So it's unlimited the number of sw- how much swag they could be spending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we spoke to all these marketing people, we realized that everyone goes after the marketing team. So how are we, swag.com with the coming soon page and five logos on the website, how are we going to be competing with the biggest companies in the industry? They have right. hundreds of employees, thousands of employees, way more experience. So we couldn't go after the marketing team. What we learned is no one was going after the office manager. The office manager, no one thinks of them to go after, at least at that time. Now things are changing. Mm-hmm. But in 2016, they were not getting bombarded with requests. But the office manager really is the gateway in the company. It's like the Trojan horse. Yep. Imagine the office manager buys for 100 T-shirts. They don't have as big a budget as the marketing team, 100% not. But they buy 100 T-shirts. Every T-shirt's in swag.com and in their label. Who are they giving the T-shirts out to? They're giving it out to their sales team mm-hmm. and to their HR team and to their marketing team. Now you have the social proof that we are using this company, swag.com, as our provider and it's basically introducing us to everyone in the organization. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the key insight that we learned and going all in on the office manager, we got in the door a lot easier and we're able to upsell and get all these other divisions to know about us and ultimately buy from us because we were already in the organization. It is, it's funny, isn't it? I don't think that most people realize that, that the office manager and being kind to them and, and, and giving value to them, it can really, they, they hold the keys to most of the entire organization, just that, that one or two key players there. So yeah, absolutely amazing strategy, man. I mean, it's obvious to sit and, and talk about it when we talk about, oh yeah, talk to the office managers, but somebody had to come up with that idea. 100%, we didn't know. I was, I was dead wrong when we started. I was going all in on the marketing teams and about the 50th marketing person I spoke to, I realized this is not the right strategy. Let's go after somebody else. And we started talking to all these other divisions. And it really was such an obvious thing once we spoke to it. And it really brought me back to the company that failed previously. Because if I just kept my head down and built the platform for the marketing team, I wouldn't have discovered this till year two. Mm-hmm. How much personal money? I mean, we didn't raise money really early on, but... I was using a lot of my own money. Like how much yeah. did I personally burn through uh, with, without knowing necessarily who the right customers? And I feel like we were just very smart with swag to really just learn as much as we could and be okay if we were wrong. Like really remove the ego. Like no one has all the answers. You have an idea, you have a, you have a, a, a thought process, you have a hypothesis, but you could easily be wrong and that's totally right. fine too. The whole right. point is to get the right answer as fast as possible. Absolutely. And and don't forget the three years worth of, of frustration with the project before uh, Swag.com launched was that was all part of the build up to Swag.com and, and uh, understanding what it was you were doing, man. 100%. I always, friends of mine, like after we sold the company and it's, you know, it's big success and everyone's like, I cannot believe it's such so fast that you built this thing. I, you know, you, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but how about the 10 years plus before mm-hmm. we built Swag that I was learning and failing and pivoting and changing and learning. Like being an entrepreneur is a lifetime game. Like that's, you have to think of it. There's no like, I mean, listen, it happens here and there. 99.9% of entrepreneurs do not make it overnight. Mm-hmm. And even the overnight successes that feel overnight, like three year, five year, seven year, 
really is like probably a 20 year journey to even get there they, so, they all are yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and what's funny is i think it was andy frisella that said this is like you know in in year three everybody's like barking all over the place and in year five you're all in competition in year seven most of those people have dropped out and then it says by the time you get to year 20 you look around the room and everybody's got the same battle scars as you and you realize it did it took 20 years to become an overnight success yeah you, know, you gotta uh, put the work in and and pay those dues man so let's talk about swag.com and how it grew from 2016 to when it was acquired late last year by custom inc and um i want to talk about the growth of the company and also what covid did for you guys because covid saw online retail sales just explode so uh, talk, talk me through how how the growth of the company happened and uh, that trajectory yeah sure thing so in 2016 we were doing you know Door-to-door -door sales. We were traveling salesmen, me and my co-founder, Josh. We did about $360,000 of sales in our first year. And, and it was really Like, how did you do that? Just just drive up to the company, knock on the door? like you make Legitimately a... that, reach out on LinkedIn, show up unannounced, go to random WeWorks in New York City and walk up and down the, the hallways, knocking on doors and asking who buys the swag for the company and speaking to them or getting, or, you know, not speaking to them, hey, sorry, we're not, we don't want to talk to you. It was just being totally okay with that, because in our mindset, it's all about learning. Yes. And whether we made the sale or not, or whether we got this customer or not, it was really just about learning the right platform to build. So we didn't build anything uh, until the second half of 2016, when we had at least a good vision of what mm -hmm. the first version of the site should be. And we spent about four months building the first version, um, launched in 2017, January, the first version of the site. It was very broken, very still manual. Like it was, We had to help people guide them through really through the site but we ultimately ended up doing 1.1 million dollars in sales in the second year now now how much how much door knocking did you have to do in that first year to make three hundred and sixty thousand? It, it was oh, in awesome. revenue right it was in revenue Re revenue now, yeah, we thousands of conversations so many emails and phone calls and i mean it was crazy it was crazy but so, it was all, all worth it because we, we figured out who the right buyer was what the right platform would, would be mm -hmm. in, and how to really launch this thing how to build it what, what, what I'm trying to connect here for the listeners is that the work came before the success. Like oh. you didn't just sit there and go, well, how do I generate leads? Well, what, what do I do here? What do I do there? You physically went out and did the work in order to generate the success. And I'm, I really want to get that through to the listeners. In oh, the, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you some good stories. I'll tell you something. Insane, I mean, insane yeah. story. Go, when go. Got, yeah, go. <laughs> when we got the WeWork deal, um, we had no experience whatsoever and doing a type of deal. They want to buy 4,000 t-shirts for this thing called the summer camp. Mm -hmm. It's basically a huge event. They have thousands of people at this campground and we won the deal. We won the deal because we undercut everybody else. Like who's going to give that kind of size deal to somebody who's been in business for like a week or two weeks. Yeah. yeah we yeah. made 23 cents per t-shirt. It was nothingness. Okay. Right, right, right. We probably ultimately lost a lot of money because what we had to do is they say, hey, have you ever rolled T-shirts, you know, to make it easy to hand up? Of course, mm -hmm. we did it all the time, of course. Who did it? Me, my parents, my grandparents, my partner. <laughs> spent three days rolling thousands of T-shirts. It doesn't sound like crazy, but if you see what 4,000 T-shirts is, it's insane. It's like unlimited. It's like it's like impossible. Like when, this is never going to be ending. After we spent three full days rolling T-shirts, we rented a U-Haul and we drove four hours to the campground. Like we had to do think We were like the CEO the head intern, the delivery driver, we had everything. The beginning, yeah. you have to do every single thing. So we did that. We had a deal for the New York State. They needed to do, I think, 3,000 main America t-shirts. 
we had to get t-shirts shipped from California to to New York. We had to like a charter plane to ship all these t-shirts. We had to rent out a screen printer for two days, rent a U-Haul, drive six hours to the campground, getting it delivered the night before. Like you have to do everything in the early days because you don't have the budget. You can't yeah. just hire to do it. You have to do it. So and that that so the the first one you did, the four thousand t-shirts. At twenty three cents a shirt, you made nine hundred and twenty dollars on that deal, and you we worked. lost. I mean, we made oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, then you hired after the labor and the transport. Yeah, labor, mm -hmm. the U hauls, the gas. I mean, our first gas fill up on the U haul van, we lost money. <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, but we do it. You do it because you want to learn. And frankly, the reason why we did that first WeWork deal is every single T shirt had swag dot com in the inner mm -hmm. label. Yeah. So all they were just doing the marketing for us. We got about. 35 really good customers from that one event. Mm -hmm. So think about it, just in general, the purpose of swag. When you buy a pair of jeans, it's cooler the more it's worn in. When mm -hmm. you buy swag, the intent is to be given out. Yeah. So every one of your customers is frankly giving it out to somebody. And they're either giving it out to their internal employees or they're giving it out to people at an event. The people who they're giving it to are probably either involved decision makers, they might have buying power themselves, we get so many customers saying, oh, I got your t-shirt. Facebook gave it to me at an event. I love the quality. I want to use you guys. Like having your customers do the marketing itself is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So um, that's, that's that. So, so then we did 1.1 million our second year. Our uh -huh. third year, 2018, we did 3.1 million. 2019, we did about seven, a little bit over 7 million. Mm -hmm. um, 2020 is when the COVID hit. And this was a, a beyond crazy year. Yeah, so, yeah. Tell me about that. COVID hits in March, mm -hmm. our sales are on track to double. So we were on track to do 14 million of sales based on January, February, COVID hits. Our industry was so hard hit by COVID. So I know, yes, we are e-commerce, but think about what we're selling. We're selling mm -hmm. promotional products and swag, which is inherently used for in-person events. events. Yeah, yeah, the That's entire the event industry events. shut down. No trade shows, mm -hmm. no events, no office. People are not buying for company culture in the mm -hmm. office. There's nothing. We had... We got very, very lucky, and I'll tell you, it's lucky. It's I don't know, I don't know how to how to quantify it, how we got, but this is what happened in 2017. I'm going to take you back a little bit. Okay. In 2017, I was in Chicago uh, as part of this tech incubator called TechStars. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's like a three month program. Part of the program is they connect you with other entrepreneurs in the area. So one of the entrepreneurs in the area was this company called Jelly Vision. Called Jelly Vision. Jelly Vision. Yep. Okay. And I went to Jelly Vision's office and I'm walking around the office and they introduced me to some of the office managers to see their process for buying swag. And when I walked into the room, there was about five or six, if I'm remembering this correctly exactly, on the floor, unboxing swag, repackaging it and reboxing it to be given out as gifts. So they had like a t-shirt from one vendor and a notebook from another vendor and this for stickers and they were recombobulating it. And I asked them how long they were doing it for and they were doing it for over a day. So a lot of work for five people manually doing it. Mm -hmm. And I thought at that exact moment, I left that room and I said, why don't we make it really easy for customers to not only buy swag and send it in bulk to their office, which is the standard process, or now we can allow them to click a button, we could warehouse it for them, give them the tools to individually package things up and we'll do the individual distribution for them. I came up with the idea in 2017 after seeing this, like seeing these people spend all these hours doing it themselves. Now, I never envisioned COVID where everyone would have to be remote. Mm -hmm. I just thought it makes sense the more people are, are working remotely because work, working remotely was you know building up. An yeah, it was coming. Yeah. 
it was coming, I thought this would be a useful thing where people are remote. How do you keep the company culture thriving even if they don't go to an office? Mm -hmm. Allow them to individually send swag. When COVID hit, it was like this crazy thing where it wasn't like a nice to have feature. It was frankly a need to have. Mm -hmm. Everyone needed to be connected. Everyone needed our service. So sales dropped off and went from 800,000 a month in February to below 300,000 a month in March, COVID. Mm -hmm. April 300,000. It was like really looking bad. Like our sales are cut in half, more than cut in half. Yeah. And then something started to change towards the middle of the year where our advertising and our push and our rebranding and our focus on, you know, keeping the culture thriving, even when you're remote, you should use our platform. At the end of the year, we ended up doing over 15 million of sales. Wow. So the sales in our entire industry, everyone's dropping 20 to 40%, mm. huge drop-offs in our industry. We grew from seven million to fifteen and a half million. We grew by over hundred percent because and of we, the because of the boxes, because of the packaging, because of the distribution, because of the warehousing. Because mm -hmm. we spent two years building out this amazing platform where it's exactly connected to our e-commerce experience. You could go onto our site, find a T-shirt, upload your logo, mock it up. When you're in checkout, it asks you two questions: Do you want to send it to one address or do you want to send it to multiple addresses? You click one address, standard process, input your address, we ship it to it. You select multiple addresses, we send it all to our warehouse. Think of it as like an online swag closet. You log in, you see all of your inventory. When you're running low in stock, you reorder, you get to upload the CSV file of different ship to addresses. We calculate in real time, you pay for it, and we're shipping globally all over the world. You could do giveaways. If you don't know your recipient's address, you don't know what t-shirt size they are, you could create landing pages in seconds and blast it out. Like we built this whole robust swag management portal, if you will, and connected it directly to our e-commerce experience to make it frictionless. There was no one else in our industry that did that. So we were really ahead of the curve. And then we continued pushing. And last year we did over 30 million of sales. Wow. So every single year we've grown over hundred percent. And what happened is Custom Inc. We've been in talks with them for a while. Um, towards the end of, of 2020 to for a year, we were speaking to them and getting to know them and, mm -hmm. and trying to think, do we even want to sell the business? Like it wasn't really, Josh and I, my co-founder, we didn't really think about selling the business ever. Right. But the more we got to learn about Custom Inc. and the more we got to become close with Mark Katz, the CEO and founder of Custom Inc. Um, and we met their team, we realized that what we could build together could be amazing. You know, they're the leader in the consumer space, um, organizations, charities, we hope mm -hmm. to be, we will be the leader in the B2B space. Right. If you can combine both things and you could synergize the operations and the logistics and just everything, the supply chain and make it really effortless and frictionless and have all this massive buying power because you have these two leaders combining yeah. forces, what can we build together? So that's why we decided to ultimately sell it. And we, uh, yes, we got acquired last November and it's been, it's been great this year. And, and you stayed on working there, yeah? Yeah, so I'm still running uh, swag.com. We have a lot of cool new ideas coming out in the Woolworks. Um, our whole team stayed. We're a completely independent business. So our entire swag team before the acquisition stayed on. Mm -hmm. Our team is about 130 people now. And um, yeah, we're just continuing to grow and trying to figure out ways where we could leverage each other's use case and abilities to just get better. Dude, that's, that's awesome. Now, now, before we, we got on the interview, I did get a chance to uh, to poke around your website and, and take a look and, and, and read some of the stuff you've got going on. Let me ask you this. What is your absolute favorite product that you sell? That's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm probably not the... <laughs> I, most promotional product uh, distributors um, and most promotional product people who are buying stuff usually think of apparel. 
mm -hmm. right? Because apparel is like super easy and you become like a walking billboard for your brand or right. other brands. Totally right. great. Um, I like products, frankly, that it doesn't even have to promote the logo really, or it's like very subtle. Like for example, to me, my belief is it's all about the recipient who gets it and them feeling a loyalty and affection towards the person giving it. So like an example of that would be like a pair of socks, mm -hmm. like a really high quality pair of socks. Well, frankly, no one sees it except for the recipient. And the goal of that is that they're going to be using it because it's, it's not, they could be using it every day and they're going to ultimately become an evangelist for the brand. Mm -hmm. So like we did a deal with Facebook a couple of years ago, which is really cool. I thought it was amazing. We did a normal London backpack. So a really premium backpack, really, really nice leather backpack. And we don't want to mess up the backpack because it's so nice. Like to put a Facebook logo on the back of backpack, it just would diminish this really expensive, really high quality right. bag. So what we end up doing is doing it's first of all it's a black backpack. We did a Facebook black logo, just the F, like the icon of Facebook in black, and we sewed it into the inside of the bag. So no one saw it except for the person who opens it up every day. They're going to see the Facebook yeah. logo. In and it just felt really cool to me because the people are getting it. They're going to use it every day. They're going to open up the bag. They're going to see the Facebook logo, and they're going to feel that real amazing connection to Facebook now. And they're going to be a lifelong fan because it's going to be like, it's like, look at this amazing gift that was given to me. So I'm all about that kind of stuff. Just really high quality products. That's all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. I like that more of a gift and less of an item. Yeah. Making me yeah. feel that. I'm just, I'm clicking around your website right now, man. You've got a little bit of everything. We got scooters. We, we sold scooters before. We have pots and pans. We have a cast iron skillet. No way. Can, yeah, like ran, random stuff, but everything that we offer on our site is really high quality. We're obsessed with curation. So yeah, a lot of yeah. the companies in our space have, let's say, a thousand mugs and a thousand notebooks. You have no idea what's good. We've done the heavy lifting. That was part of our initial idea. You know, when Josh and I started, we had a, we were working on my, my partner, Josh's um, pool room in his office building. So you know, like there's like a, this common area. And every day we would just order samples in and we would put all the samples on the pool table and we would just analyze it. And like 98% of the products we tested didn't make the cut. We were really just focused on where the top, top, top stuff. I want when people go to our site and they're looking for notebooks, not to be overwhelmed with thousands of options. I want them to say, hey, here are the top 15. Make mm -hmm. your selection. You know that all of this has been vetted and tested and really good. So to me, it's just about making sure it's quality products. Yeah, I mean, as a business owner, I don't want my name on crap. Like if yeah. I'm giving you something like the the last real uh, the last real swag I gave out was uh, handmade cutting boards that were 150 bucks a pop that had our logos burned into them. I mean they were they were phenomenal. But I want to give I want to give gifts that people are going to uh, going to keep and going to use. And so like the quality is just it's it's right there, man. It's probably the most important thing uh, important thing out of it. So all right, let's. Uh, Let's take a look at you as a person, Jeremy, because we've been uh, we've we've been we've been covering swag.com. But tell me about a little bit about yourself. Um, most guys that that are in business like to read books. Are there, are there any good books you've read recently? Yes, I have. I mean, recently, <laughs> not recently. <laughs> I uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I I like not necessarily it has to be success stories, but I just like seeing how things are built. So, like, how I built this is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, listening to different stories. I would say the two books that had probably the biggest impact on me uh, professionally um, was actually one of my old co-founders, Jesse Itzler, wrote a book um, called Living with the Seal. And basically, it was a New York Times bestseller. Jesse Itzler is a wildly successful entrepreneur. He's also 
they call him the hundred mile man because he ran the hundred miles straight in the day uh, for charity. He's a really amazing guy, but he hired a, uh, a Navy SEAL. I wouldn't say hire, he didn't pay him, I don't believe, but he had a Navy SEAL live with him for a month. David Goggins, world famous Navy SEAL. Lived I, I, I've met David Goggins. He's he's an intense dude. I'm, I'm not sure I can have him live with me, man. Right. So he lived with Jesse Isler for, for a month, and Jesse ended up ultimately writing a book about it. Now, the intent of him living with Jesse was not to write a book. I think he wrote the book like seven or eight years after he lived with him. Like He just wanted to shake himself out of his system. And mm-hmm. there was a couple of great stories in the book and what happened to Jesse that kind of resonated with me. The first day... Uh, David Goggins shows up and he goes into Jesse's uh, workout room and he said, Jesse, let me see what I'm working with. Do some pull-ups. And Jesse does like eight pull-ups, right? And then he's tired, like exhausted. He says, do some more pull-ups. And Jesse does like four. He's exhausted. He does one more. Three. Then two. His arms are burning. He can't actually touch the bar anymore. And David Goggins says, we're not leaving here until you do 100 more. We're not leaving this room until you do 100 more. And Jesse's like, it's not possible. It's not possible. We're not leaving here until you do 100 more. And after a span of three to five hours, he would eke out and he ended up doing 100 more pull- uh, wow. pull-ups. He was figuring out that what our brain tells us is our limit is really just we're about 40% there. Mm-hmm. We still have a long way to go. We just got to break through the barrier. So that kind of mentality has, has made me shift my like focus a little bit. It was like wherever you are, when you come into like challenging situations, whether it's work or personal or physical or anything you're doing, you have a lot more to give. And everyone yeah. has a lot more to give, and you gotta you gotta break through it. You gotta tell yourself that. So that was one thing. The second book that I read was Shoe Dog, uh, the Phil Knight book about uh, yeah. Nike creation. And when I was reading the book, I felt I felt like he was me. Like I don't know, it was like a weird feeling. I was reading it I'm like this is just like an everyday guy. This is just a normal person trying to build a business. He's living and he's building Nike, this amazing brand, and it just gave me kind of this optimism that anything is really possible. It doesn't have to be an old school story of building a brand. Like those are people who built the companies who they, they passed away hundreds of years ago. These are people living today that are building the, the brands of our future. Yeah. So we all have that opportunity and that ability and anything is really possible. And that those kind of stories resonate with me and give me inspiration. Dude, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I pulled that same thing out of that Goggins book, the, the, the 40% thing when you think you're done. And uh, there's there's a whole lot left in the tank when and you don't realize it, you know. And I just don't think I could run a hundred miles. I don't think I have any <laughs> any desire no. to do that. So tell me a little bit, Jeremy, if you would, about your plans for the future with uh, Swag.com and any other projects you got coming up. Yeah, so really laser focused on Swag. We have a lot of big ideas that are coming. We've launched a lot of really cool features. We have these features launched uh, a couple of months ago called Super Speed where the typical production time for Swag is 14 days. We've gotten it down for about 62 of our core products uh, in under five business days. Allows people to do things a lot, lot faster. Yeah. We launched that. We have this API, the Zapier integration, the Shopify integration, allowing people to automate Swag. Now people are able to set it where it's like their employees' one-year anniversary or their five-year anniversary, their birthday. Automatically, it could trigger, click our, you know, send a notification to our site and automatically send Swag to people wherever the platforms that they live. You know, when you onboard you hire, it can automatically trigger to send them a swag box in the mail. Yeah. They no longer need to necessarily go to our site, upload a file and send it. Everything is kind of set and forget it. So our belief is just the more we just make the process easier to buy, to warehouse, to send, and then to automate sending, we're going to help a lot more companies. So we're approaching about 10,000 companies that buy from us at this point. 
Um, and we're just scratching the surface. And that's what's really exciting. The industry is 30,000 distributors. There's a lot of us. There's a yeah. lot of companies out there that sell promotion products. We're probably the 40th biggest, which is exciting that we've got into a place where we're the number 40 in the entire industry. Mm-hmm. But it's also exciting that there's 39 companies that are bigger than us. Yeah. How do we continue to grow? And we just see a lot of opportunity ahead. That, that's, that's the way I'd look at it, man. If I was 40th, I'd be looking, right, how do I crack into the top 30? How do I crack in the top 20? Man, there's so much opportunity there. Um, the fact that you've combined uh, with customing to, to build that, man, you've got to be just incredibly excited for the next five years, man. Yeah, no, I am. I think there's just, it's unlimited. Like, I believe we're going to be the number one player in the whole industry. Uh, so we have to do a lot of work. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be like everything else we've been doing. But mm-hmm. hopefully we look back in five years from now, we're like, look at what we accomplished. And that's kind of do you- kind of hoping for you focus on you focus on the quality of the product and you focus on the experience for the customers and you focus on the ease of purchasing man you'll you'll go all that way there but shit you know that already (laughs) thank you all right uh what else do we need to cover jeremy um where would the folks who have been listening how would they follow you online and uh, watch all your socials and stuff where's a good place to catch jeremy parker yeah, you know, obviously you can reach out to me, Jeremy at swag.com. Check us out, swag.com, S-W-A-G.com. Uh, you can follow our blog. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I'm happy to help. I'm, I'm always team entrepreneur. I always say this. It takes a lot of guts to start something, to go into the unknown and create the future. That's really what you're doing. But you, you really could change not only your own life, you could change the lives of people around you. You could change the lives of all your employees. There's a lot of really great, a lot of good that comes out of, you know, putting yourself on the line and risking it all. And I think I, I just, I commend the people in the arena. That's really it. Man, yeah, I, I do too. I know it's not the easiest, uh, it's not the easiest battle to fight sometimes, Jeremy, but you are a absolute shining example of what can be done um with a little bit of luck and a hell of a lot of work ethic i don't want any of the listeners to forget just how hard you worked and how many doors you knocked on to make this whole thing come together you're uh, you're an example to us all man thank you thank you very much for coming on the show thank you so much for having me great to be here guys that was jeremy parker the founder and ceo of swag.com please do me a favor run on over there check out his site check out his stuff uh, i've been glued to the site since uh, i started researching it and uh, i think i'm gonna end up being a a customer of his very very soon so uh, please go show him some love and uh, as always we will see you uh, same time next week with another high quality interview from around the world of business you'll be good and stay safe been the small business surgeon podcast if you've made it this far you clearly like it so go on itunes and leave us a five-star review this helps people find the show and spread the good word share with friends and follow us at small business surgeon on facebook and instagram thanks for tuning in and we'll see you for your follow-up next week the small business surgeon was recorded at texas media foundry in historic downtown Bryan, texas Check them out at txfoundry.com or on social media at txfoundry. Thanks for tuning in.